Hello, everybody, and welcome in. Got to tell you about Dr. Busby and ToeGrips.com. ToeGrips.com, of course, that's the home of the great Dr. Busby. And I was talking with Mr. Dr. Busby uh, the other day, and we were talking about just the website in general and how well it's run and and it, a key in going to the website, right? You can always buy the toe grips there, the do-it-yourself nail trimming kits, of course, the Encore Mobility, which Luther takes every single day to help his little old bone and joints feel good. When you go to toegrips.com, you're not going to be ambushed or bombarded with ads. You're just going to get information and great stories like, you know, about uh, an 18-year-old mini pin mix that was having a hard time getting around and put on the uh, toe grips and was able to walk. Or Hank, who's an 11-year-old pup who was able to walk confidently on the hardwood floors again instead of hopping uh, area rugs island to island. And they're just great stories. It's a very great website. Uh, and, of course, Dr. Busby is legendary. And it's somewhere on here. You see a picture of Luther, I think. I think there's a picture of Luther that's uh, on here somewhere, or at least associated with him because we took all those pictures with Dr. Busby. So, of course, the Dr. Busby blog as well. They are awesome dr busby is great use the promo code luther to save 10 percent. we love the folks at toegrips.com that is toegrips.com and again that blog big time like jelly had questions today about food for luther and i would not be shocked if that ends up being a dr busby blog soon about senior food so again for your dogs check out the site toegrips.com use the promo code luther and you will save 10 percent with toegrips.com Well, everybody, it's Josh. I uh, had um, our friend Craig Gass at the radio station today, and we got to uh, shoot the shit. He was actually at the station longer today than the last time because he never goes away. So uh, Craig Gass, we talked about a lot of stuff. Just to let you know, we will have a uh, drinking show on Twitch Friday night at 8, 8 Central. And also, got to tell you this, in regards to this audio with with Craig, it's important to note that it might jump around a little bit. I tried to edit out as much of the radio part as possible, but understand that we might be talking for 10 minutes about something. We jump into the on-air part where we're doing a Gene Simmons bit and then come back and I don't remember what the hell we were talking about and it goes to something else. I tried to make sure the transitions were as good as possible and were consistent as possible. Sometimes they won't be. My bad. It's only, I mean, it's it's a jumping around thing. It's not like one long-form conversation. We're doing a lot of different stuff, doing the radio part, and then we're doing the Detroit radio part, the Nashville radio part, and talking during the breaks for the pod. So uh, did the best I could with that. But anyway, our friend Craig Gass, great conversation, and uh, here is uh, today's conversation with Craig. I didn't get a chance to finish the Carlin thing yet. I got about an hour left in it. But it's, what do you think so far? It's very good. Yeah. It's very good. Uh, I'm at the point now where he's stale and you got like Cheech Marin saying like, yeah, he's obsolete. Imagine a world where like George Carlin yeah. is considered obsolete versus Cheech. I didn't even know about the the sketch. It looks like SCTV. Is oh, it was actually pretty. It was not bad, though. It was SCTV I, did some kind of funny, innovative stuff in their day. You know? But it was just kind of crazy to me that they were kind of mocking. Uh, I, I was not aware of that. Uh, I only know of George's legend status. I didn't know that anybody looked at him. That I had way. no clue. Like when you think about George, you just think of being arguably one A, one B, maybe with Pryor yes. as the greatest stand-up of all time. I think those are the two that usually get yeah. considered as the best. 
And you don't know that there's a stretch where there's a decade where like nobody cares. You know what I'm saying? What's interesting between uh, Pryor and Carlin is that Carlin's material still seems so relevant to what's going on in the world that he just keeps getting recycled over and over again in today's political climate where uh, everything that happens is like, well, remember what George said? Remember what George said? And, he, and he's he's almost become uh but i i like how both political sides use things he says because they course. think it makes their point like right. you got like the republicans that are like hey you see what he said about viruses huh look mm -hmm. he, he predicted this and he said what are we doing and right. then on the other side there'll be stuff about guns and abortion and yeah. the liberals will say see maybe that's what makes him brilliant yeah. you don't know it's, it's like it's like he's agnostic in a way when it comes to his comedy he's ripping everybody yeah and i'm right around the point i haven't watched it yet but the point where he's like i gotta I got to wake the fuck up and start doing something else. Which is crazy because there's that part at the beginning of the documentary where he's like, I got to wake the fuck up and make some money. And then he just does. He becomes famous and starts making money. Yes. And now I got to wake the fuck up and become a legend. And then he does. It's wild, man. Yeah, he's well, it, although it wasn't to become a legend, it was, oh, my God, I'm dated. And here comes Sam Kinison. And for some reason, it was Sam specifically that really spoke. Well, to he him. kind of jump started that whole era of kind of edgy. Uh, if you want to say edgy, which I guess it was, it was that yeah. edgy comedy, but it was he and Dice and guys like that. Um, God, I was watching Dice. It was it was National Limerick Day the other day that made me think of Dice. So I went back and watched all of the nursery rhymes, you know, and like it shouldn't be funny because it's really not that clever. <laughs> it really is. Like I'm not trying to be a dick to Dice. because I've interviewed him a couple of times. I, I, he's legendary. He filled up the garden. I mean, yeah. not too many people do that in comedy, you yeah. know, but you listen to it. It's like hickory dickory duck. This chick was sucking my cock. Hey. And you're like, why is this funny? It's not really like, you know, revolutionary, but I'm laughing my ass off. You know what? I didn't. I, I felt the same way at that time. I was never a huge Dice fan. In fact, when we get back on the air, I want to I want to share the one Kinnison story that really blew my mind that um, uh, that really shed some light on what kind of a comic he was versus Dice, that he just had this brilliance of being able to go into really dark areas and try to make comedy with it. But um, have you watched speaking of that? Have you watched any of the uh, the Ricky Gervais Netflix special yet? No, but I, I I saw there was like a stink online that he's doing trans jokes. Trans jokes. Stuff. No, I think it's it's great. And he goes into it telling you, hey, I'm going to do some offensive stuff. I mean, basically get the hell over. It. Like there's something about British dudes that they can just kind of do whatever. And it sounds even really mean shit sounds funny and charming because it's through a British <laughs> accent. But I'm funny, envious, but it's funny. Oh, oh, it's great. The first I watched about 15, 20 minutes of the, the, the first part of it. And it is, I mean, it's great. I'm I've laughing always, my ass I've off. always said like, you can do anything as long as you back it up with facts. There's uh, do you know who big J Okerson is? Yep. Big J used to do a joke and I'm only going to say this here for anybody who's watching this because yeah. I cannot say this on the air, but I always refer to this joke as a magic trick because when he starts the joke, the audience freezes there's so much discomfort from one word and whether they want to or not jay makes the whole room explode with laughter within 10 seconds and the joke is based on a true story he goes i'm on a date with this girl and we ended up making out in my car and she starts crying and i go why are you crying and she goes because of this song i had my radio on it's playing free bird by leonard skinnard she says, when I was in high school, I was raped to this song, which always makes the crowd. Oh, yeah. And he goes, and that's fucked up for two reasons. Number one, rape. 
is awful. Yep. And number two, that's a long fucking song, like a six and a half minute guitar solo. Holy shit. Like, and, he, and then he goes and everybody laughs. And then he goes in this whole thing of like, um, when I went to prison, I got raped to rapper's delight. You ever been raped to 14 verses, 14 <laughs> verses like, and, and, and they just, you can't resist it. It's, you cannot argue that fact. So, yeah. um, but like, I feel like, and I, I, I think was it Seinfeld that said, you don't want to play the, the college circuit, right? Mm -hmm. Like a lot of people don't want to do that. And it's so weird. Cause you watch the Carlin doc and you hear, you got to get to the colleges. That's where it's happening. Back then. Yeah. That's what I know. Right. In the seventies, it was counterculture and, yes. and it was still kind of a damn the man mindset, yeah. but like, it's like, I'm going to go from doing Carson and doing these variety shows and stuff to doing that. I'm going to grow a beard. I'm going to go to the, the, that's where it's happening. It is not where it's happening now. It is yeah. where it goes to die. Yeah. Why? And I don't know. Why do you think that is? Like, what is the what has happened to just people in general? Why are we at a point now where it's like that? It seems like younger people have grown up with an idea of like, oh, okay, I'm supposed to be offended by this, hmm. and then they they just take that concept and have run with it uh, to determine, oh, this is a, must be offensive. This must be offensive. This must be offensive. I know from growing up in a deaf family that there's always been people who've been sensitive on my behalf for my deaf family. Yeah. And they're not in my family, but they're sensitive to jokes about my family. Meanwhile, the most insensitive jokes I've ever heard were from deaf people. Sure. And from my own deaf people, you know, Actually, well, that's usually how it goes. Like people that are in wheelchairs make wheelchair jokes yep. that are fucking savage. You know, yeah. I mean, it's how it goes. But other people will be like, oh, my God, how dare you? Like, you don't you know, know my life. And they're not part of that group. No. Right. And, they, and they're they're offended on, on somebody's behalf. And um, I've always known people to usually own and laugh off whatever it is that makes them in the minor in the minority. So, yeah. But uh, and th that doesn't exist anymore, though. Like. I think Chris Rock used to do a great job with that, where like you'd watch Chris Rock and he'd make fun of black people, white people, whatever. Richard Pryor, multiple of his stand-ups, the, the one that stands out is Richard Pryor live in concert. Yeah. When he comes out and he goes, hey, what about the, the, the look on the white people face when they come out and see the black guys yeah, took yeah, their seats? Their seats. And, like a pecker head, you yeah, fucking yeah. jerk off. <laughs> and it's fucking hysterical, but like you're making fun of black people, making fun of white people, you're making fun of stereotypes on both sides. Yeah. And now it's too pointed. It, it, it's It's targeted and politically driven and i don't know I'd i think you have to lean into it i think you have to push even harder because again you can't argue facts you can't argue what about on your end do you get complaints uh ever like do you still hear about complaints and uh regarding uh what just like just what broadcasting I say on the air? broadcasting uh what just from listeners and stuff or yeah, like actual? from listeners yes yeah, some yeah. um it's different because this is not a very active audience, if that makes sense. Hmm. So they're not like now they're active on Facebook. <laughs> Our hmm. audience is a Facebook audience and they will bitch on Facebook and leave messages like I'm on in Detroit and uh, I'll see Facebook messages that they send to Detroit bitching about me. And this shows on Detroit. Well, it is and it isn't. It's it basically I recorded in real time. I record ahead about an hour because I can't we're not fully simulcast. Uh, so like I have to do one. Like I have a break to do for there in um, that's gonna air here at like nine fifteen, for instance, or nine ten. What so cluster are you in? in I, it's iHeart. It's the same. It's all the same. So I work on uh, WLLZ. Holy and, shit! Uh, the same building that um uh ah, fuck, what's his name? Mojo's. Uh huh. Yeah, I don't know any of those guys. I just started doing this about a month ago. Wow. But yeah, like um, here we can screw with them. You wanna? 
Let's just say Craig Gass is here in Detroit. <laughs> we'll just hang out. You're hanging out with us. All right, let's see here. Um, 106.7, Detroit's Wheels, Josh Ennis Show, Steve Miller Band, The Joker. Hey, our friend Craig Gass has just stopped by. Hey, Craig, what's up? And I'm Gene Simmons from KISS with a very important announcement. Craig Gass is in Detroit right now to promote his shows in September. <laughs> He'll be performing at One Night Stands. The owner is Stan. Go to One Night Stands in late September, and Craig will be doing five shows in late September. That's a true story, by the way. Uh, Yeah, is Detroit a good comedy town? It's a great comedy town. It's had uh, some legendary comedy clubs where everybody who's anybody has come through. I used to perform out in Ann Arbor years ago and this place um uh one night stands is actually a great great comedy club Uh, i performed there for the first time about a year and a half ago and we had great audiences in the middle of the summer which summertime sucks for comedy yeah but people came out they actually came out and they dug it and it's um it's a really cool club what's a bad comedy town Mm. i mean there's definitely comedy clubs that are in bad areas well, I mean, I watched a documentary with Pauly Shore doing like VFW halls. Oh, in my God. Waukesha, Wisconsin. Here's what bummed me out about that is that Pauly Shore starts out that documentary saying my mom is sick. Yep. She is not well. And he's at home with his mom. You don't see his mom on camera. And Pauly is talking to his mom and saying, are you going to be OK? I love you, mom. Please take care of yourself. And then he goes on the road. Yeah. And for the next 90 minutes, all you see Pauly do is try to bang anything that's alive. <laughs> and he, he tries to bang the promoter. He tries to bang his fans. He's trying to have sex with anything for 90 minutes. And then he comes back home and goes to see his mom and says, I love you, mom. And it says that the screen goes dark. This is dedicated to anybody who's suffering from this disease. And I'm like, all you did was try to get laid for. And I think minutes. he did at one point. I he think had one, sex with the promoter it, while her boyfriend was in another room. I want to say, was it the one in Minneapolis where you played the movie theater? Yes. I yes. think that's where it was. Yes. <laughs> yep. That's New Hope. New Hope Cinemas. Man. Yeah. It's crazy when you go to these towns and you hear the stories about other people and which is why I avoid put going to the comedy condo because everyone's like, yeah, we got a condo. You can say, I'm like, I'm not staying at the comedy condo where Ralphie may had a foursome with, <laughs> with three horrifying looking waitresses. Like, yeah, you hear the stories and you don't want to do it. I stayed in a comedy condo once and I'm never doing it again. All right. So Craig's hanging out with us. Uh, hey, you want to get in? You can, uh, we got, I got to give away this keyword here in a little bit to win a thousand bucks. We got a lot to do. Josh in a show and Pearl jam on wheels. Detroit is absolutely a rock town. Holy fuck. It is. Always been legendary rock town. Yeah, totally. It's so funny that uh, you compare Lee Greenwood doing the um, Canada song to like, am I going to find out Ted Nugent's a vegan? (laughs) (laughs) It's such a great comparison. Uh, For this format of radio, that is the greatest. Like, that's the thing is like, I, I want, like, I've always wanted to try to do comedy stuff. I just don't have the balls to do it. Cause I don't know if it's actually funny or if it's like, there's funny. And then there's like radio funny, you know what I'm saying? There's like oh, one, absolutely. Like, but you've gone on stage before uh, doing station events and sure. been, been funny at station events. Do you sit back and think of material for that moment? Some, like a lot of them involve my dad. Cause my dad will bring me up like, uh, well, sometimes I'm hammered. So like one time. <laughs> I, my dad brought me up to bring Warrant on stage at a concert in Louisiana. Nice. And I was blitzed. And all I could do is just keep singing their songs. 
So I went up there and I'm like, hey, do you guys like sometimes she cries? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, I'll sing it for you. Sometimes. Like, and they're like, you got to go. You know, like, <laughs> but like, like, so it's funny. Like, I guess being being on the radio helps in one way because you have to do things live and you have to think fast. So right. like, I feel like if I can do stuff live and be semi funny, then if I actually took the time to write down some stuff that it could be funny, mm. but I also find it insulting for some schlub like me who does a radio show to go, Hey, I think I could do stand up because it's a hard thing to do. And people grind for 10 years trying to make it, you know? Right. So I feel weird doing that, but I'd want to try. It's but like I don't have the balls. Corey Taylor wants to do stand up comedy. And mm -hmm. um, I helped him put together a, a comedy set. And his whole thing that he keeps going back to is he says, I don't want to um, I don't want to disrespect the art form. And I'm like, Dude, we, there's YouTubers performing in comedy clubs now. It's sure. Like, you know, but is it is true, like, because first of all, I think, you know, this. a lot of comedians are assholes yes. and like they feel like they're owed something like there were local dudes in Houston that just hated me. Like for whatever reason, local comedians in Houston despised me like these local dudes like for whatever reason hated my guys there was kind of a hipster vibe in houston with comedians but go ahead they, they so they would listen to my show and they would get mad that like people liked me and they'd say oh that guy's terrible like all these different guys like i've got the guy's name there's a guy that was on our station for a little bit we did a show together one night then he went to twitter and told everybody how much i sucked really i forgot what his name was Wesley. Wesley John Wesley might have been his name. He mm. did not like me. And then I mean, there are all these comedians a guy named Billy D. Washington was actually a fan, but he but then political stuff like the world changed politically and he started to dislike me a little bit because of political stuff. But like there were like, I don't know, that kind of warped me for comedy stuff because those guys just shat on me like I mean, just destroyed me. There was some guy named Rob something who claimed to be a comedian in in Houston. They would just shit on me every day. And I was like, I'm not going to try this. These guys are assholes, you know? Well, you know, it was uh, comedians shitting on me that made me start doing stand up comedy. And I ended up with this really bad chip on my shoulder where I wanted to irritate as many other comedians as possible. Yeah. And that's what made George Carlin fall in love with me is that he loved the idea that someone was trying to get into stand-up comedy by trying to annoy as many other comedians as possible. Which is a solid strategy. You know the most relatable thing that you said to me the other day? What's that? Uh, about that fight that happened in um, at the Super Bowl Media Center. What's that? Was that you... You said, yeah, I, I, you know, this guy was a big, like, juiced up roid head. But I was like, man, I don't give a shit. I'm not scared of you. Meanwhile, my hands are shaking. And I think, wasn't there a video of that? Oh, yeah. And I think I remember seeing it and relating to the mouth of yours versus your body language. Like, <laughs> your mouth's like, I don't give a shit. Your body's like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, happen. like, I, I'm going to get crushed. Dude, yeah. I related to that so much because there's been so many times in my life that I was about to get murdered for being funny. Just, just not in a comedy club setting, but as a, as a teenager growing sure. up and just having a big mouth and realizing, holy shit. But I would still talk my way out of it. I would still somehow manage to save myself from a beating because of my sense of humor so but it also gets you in trouble to the point that people want to kick your ass to kill you. that, that's, yeah. that's the fascinating yeah, part about it you know? but man that story it's it's like it was such a refreshing story didn't that story make it to howard didn't howard, howard talk about talked it? about it yeah. yeah i think they played the audio on that that was the only time like i had dreams forever being on howard stern and then the time was uh, me almost getting my ass kicked to which he said 
you know, this is actually entertaining. More sports radio people need to do this. I'm yes. like, correct, because sports radio blows. Agreed. Most radio in general blows, but in Agreed. particular, sports radio blows. How did you end up back on the Stern Show? I was uh, randomly hit up by Howard. My transmission had just blown. I was uh, I was given a bill for how much my transmission was going to cost and just thinking, fuck, this is really expensive. And I was standing outside of the transmission place when my phone rang from a New York phone number and I picked up and this woman said, hey, my name is so-and-so. I work for Howard Stern. And I said, okay. And she goes, Howard wanted me to reach out to you and ask you if you'd ever be interested in working on the show again. And I said, <laughs> Stern? And I said, sure. And she goes, okay. And right off the top, she said, this is how much we'd be willing to pay you. And I go, okay. And she goes, is that okay? And I said, sure. And she goes, <laughs> she goes, okay. Cause, and what I come to find out, by the way, the next couple of steps also involved other people I'd never heard of before. They had never heard of me before. There's just all these new people working on the show that I never met before. That's great. And then once I started to see everybody on zoom calls, I was like, Oh my God, it really is happening. That's wild. dude. Yeah. And, and it's weird because, uh, Howard had some ideas and, uh, then I sent him some ideas. He wanted to start uh, at a time frame that was going to be like six weeks down the road. And I said, okay, hey, I got some ideas too. And I sent it to him and Howard said, oh, let's do it tomorrow. Let's go, let's go right now. Let's just go right now. Let's start. That's awesome. And we jumped right in and everything I do leads to like, let's do that again. Let's do this again. Let's do this again. And it says it's one of the easiest things I've ever done in the world is. Uh, so what voices are you doing on there? Like what are the main go-to ones that you, cause I, I never hear it. We brought back some of the older ones, uh, Kinnison, Gene Simmons. And what context are you doing? Kinnison? Kinnison is an amazing context. Kinnison trying, we haven't even fully developed it, but it's Kinnison trying to have explained to him what has happened to comedy today. <laughs> And, and Kinnison replying and going like, oh, yeah, OK, yeah, I, I, I guess I, I guess I'm woke. I'm woke because I've, I've been doing coke since 1985. I haven't slept. <laughs> you know, you know, maybe if I was woke, I would have avoided that truck that fucking hit me. Like, you know, it's like it's so it's such a beautiful context oh, to put great. Sam and explain to him. Well, there's woke culture. You Whose idea is that uh, the ideas are being written by writers that idea was a right, uh, some writers on the show for Stern. Um, and then I, I do, I'm developing uh, Mike Lindell, um, which is easy. It's just uh, recovering crackhead Mike Lindell, who keeps veering off into, uh, you got to see the evidence. The evidence is uh, Dominion. Dominion. <laughs> uh, watch the evidence. I promise you, please watch the evidence. I'll let you suck my dick. I'm sorry. I'm a recovering crackhead. <laughs> I'm a recovering I probably shouldn't say that. I'm sorry. I'm a recovering crackhead. It's kind of, it almost can go into a Jesse Ventura sound. It is. You know what? <laughs> I'm realizing right now as I'm doing that it is a Jesse Ventura. And then. Uh, no, like It sounds more like Mike Lindell than jesse ventura but they have a similar kind of they do well they're from the same area yeah and then uh tom arnold just being tom arnold which as you know yeah. like started developing it uh at the super bowls and tom just being concerned about hey buddy you know i'm really concerned about you and uh, oh man you know what you know i'd like to say on the air was the that? first time i ever spoke to tom arnold did i ever tell you that about how i prank called him yes i did did i say that the other day on the air i think you did oh, yeah. okay uh and i i said how uh I prank called him as Sam. Ken okay, because I was like, I just told that story the other day. Was that here? Um, and uh, and Tom could not be more of a sweetheart. 
And, uh, and well, I, some I, guys don't handle prank calls well, and some do. Like, I'll give you two examples. So, my dad used to do like voices on the radio too. So, like once they, they back in the day when you would just prank call people, like 1995, you would you find out what hotel they're in, you'd call them at six in the morning, wake them up. That's exactly what I did, and exactly the year I did it with Tom. Martin, but go ahead. <laughs> so, like uh, one time, you call like a Tony Gwynn. Tony Gwynn answers the phone as the nicest guy in the world and has a sense of humor because my dad calls him as, I think, Tom Brokaw. It was the All-Star <laughs> game. Dad calls him as Tom Brokaw, says they want to talk. When he's like, oh, wow, hi, Tom. And then he says, sorry, it's Scott Ennis, whatever. And Tony was very nice. They did it to Don Henley, and Don Henley was like, I will sue you. I will sue everyone. He seems like a real dick, though. Like, Don Henley comes across as the biggest... Like a big slug, just an unlikable slug. He absolutely you know? is, and I have the most amazing Don Henley story. But go ahead. Wait a second. An amazing Don Henley. Is it because he's a dick? Uh, can we save it for the air? Uh, sure. All right. We all got right. so many stories we're saving. I know, they're piling we're, up. We're running out of time. We got we to edit and pick the, the best ones. I know. Uh, and then uh, one time, my dad called Rosie O'Donnell when she was in makeup for her show, when she had a talk show, and called us Tom Brokaw. And she fell for it. And then when she found out it was them, she lost her mind, went on the air on her TV show that day and talked about my dad prank calling her. No way. Uh, yeah. That was like 1996, I think. Oh, man. That was the heyday of prank calling celebrities, I guess. So you have a story about the first time you met Dave Chappelle, right? So my Chappelle, uh, first time I met Chappelle. Yeah. Um, how long have we got before you got to go back on the air? Uh, we're good for now. Yeah, I think we should be solid. Okay. So we got like 15 minutes. Okay. So it's all tied to uh, a buddy of mine named uh, Todd McCullough, who is a basketball player. Uh, when I first started doing stand-up in Seattle, I got done doing a show, and these two seven-feet-tall guys came up to me afterwards and said, hey, man, you're pretty funny. And I, I looked at them, and I went, you guys play basketball? And they go, yeah, we do, man. We play for the for UW, University of Washington uh, men's uh, basketball team, the Huskies. The Huskies. And uh, one of them was a guy named Todd McCullough. Todd and I exchanged phone numbers. And we would stay in touch uh, over the years. He would invite me to college games. I invite him to com to comedy shows. And then when I started to uh, write for the Howard Stern show and moved to New York to be closer to Howard, Todd got picked up by the NBA and started playing for the 76ers. And the first time he came to New York to play the Knicks, they had a day off before the game. And he said, hey, do you want to hang out and uh, maybe get a meal? And I said, dude. You got to come to a comedy club. I'm working with the greatest comedians in the world now. So we go out to dinner, me, Todd McCullough, and three of his teammates from the 76ers. And at dinner, his teammates go, so Todd says, you're, uh, you're pretty funny. And I go, oh, my God. I am so I am so funny. I am so oh you Todd, you haven't seen me in a couple of years. You don't even know. how. Like, I'm the funniest guy ever right now. I am so funny. And I'm building this. I'm hyping up this show they're going to see. I'm like, wait, till you, you'll just wait till you see. Dude, I am so funny. You guys are going to be blown away by how funny I am. And I'm Todd's friend, man. You're, you're going to be so blown away. We get to this comedy club. It's called the Boston Comedy Club in Greenwich Village. And when we walked in, there were two audience members when we walked in. Two. <laughs> and now we added my four friends. And I'm literally standing up in front of the four guys I just had dinner with going, <clears throat> So how are you guys doing tonight? Like it's, <laughs> it's fucking awkward as shit. There was no way to win that battle. It was just the, the circumstances were beyond my control, and I ate my dick for 20 minutes. It sucked. <laughs> I walk off stage. Our doorman at the time was Bert Kreischer. Bert uh, was the doorman? Bert was the door guy. I walk out, and I go, Bert, that's 
the worst night I've ever had in my life doing stand-up. And he goes, what? And I go, those friends of mine, they play for the 76ers, dude. I was just hyping myself up tonight about how funny I was going to be. And I just fucking ate it. And uh, Bert goes, uh, hey, maybe, maybe we can get uh, Dave Chappelle to come in. And I go, is he around? And he goes, dude, that's fucking Dave Chappelle right there. And I looked and sitting in a Jeep in front of the club was Chappelle uh, having a smoke. And I, and I walked over. Chappelle at the time, this is 1998, Chappelle was famous for... Robin Hood Men in Tights. Con Air is what I remember. Oh, Con Air! Yeah, I forgot he was in Con Air. He was in Con Air, and he ha- he killed it in... Uh, Half-Baked? Nut- Nutty Professor. Yeah, I, get- oh, I forgot he was... I forgot about that. He was so good. Nutty Professor. Yeah, he was an, he played, he was like the asshole and uh, he was like an asshole comedian. Comic, yeah. yeah. Shitting on him. Like women be shopping. And then, <laughs> <laughs> so I knock on the window and Dave rolls the window down. I go, Dave, Hey man, my name's Craig gas. I'm a stand-up comedian, dude. I got a, a bunch of friends from the Philadelphia 76ers inside. Is there any way we can get you to come in and do a set? And Dave said word. And I go, yeah, is that cool? Can you come in? And he goes, yeah, man, let me uh, let me get some smokes, and I'll be back. And he gets out of his car, and he goes down to this bodega. And then um, and I'm like, oh, my God. I walk back up, and I go, Bert, he's coming in. He's going to come in. And right at that moment, six businessmen walked by and said, hey, is anybody famous performing tonight? And I was like, uh, in like five minutes, <laughs> yes. And they're like, oh, you're, you're just trying to take our money. And I was like, no, dude, no cover. Come on in, please. Come in, come in. And now we've doubled our audience. Now we have 12 people in the crowd. Big crowd. And Chappelle walks in and does a 90-minute set for 12 people. And the next guy that was supposed to be on stage was a guy named David from the real world season two did you ever watch the real world i not i wouldn't know who david from real world season two is did you ever watch real world i, I know of it yeah i mean okay. i've seen some season two was in los angeles uh season one of course was in new york season two was in los angeles and dave um was a comic uh black dude who was really angry got thrown out of the house because tammy one of his roommates he tried to rip her blanket off of her and she was in a bra and panties. She was like, stop it. And he was like, come on, just get in any, and he rips a blanket off of her and, and all the roommates are offended. Like, dude, she's in her bra and panties and you're trying to rip her blanket off. So they all got together and voted Dave, you got to go. And even though he kept saying he was a stand-up comedian, he came off as an angry guy on the show. And then he shows up this night. He's supposed to go on stage, but now Chappelle's on and he's angry at me and Bert because Chappelle's on stage doing a 90 minute set. He, this guy, David walks up to me and, and Bert and goes, Hey man, you can tell this guy to get off stage. You can tell Dave Chappelle to get off. And I was like, uh, no, I'm not actually. No, no. And he goes, he goes, does he know I'm supposed to go up? And I'm like, ah, he's the crowd's having a good time. We're just going to let him roll and just, and just have fun. So this guy, Dave from the real world decides he's going to walk by the stage and eyeball Chappelle. <laughs> and, and this is what he does. He, he like goes by the stage and he goes, <laughs> like the like a total bro type yeah. move like put his arms yeah. out like well what bro well yeah and Chappelle was smoking a cigarette which you're not supposed to do indoors in new york he's smoking a cigarette sitting on the stool and he goes yeah man was... hey that's the dude from the real world what the fuck? <laughs> and and the guy from the real world stops and turns around and plugs an independent film that he's in he goes family reunion warner brothers pictures December 99 and it gets really quiet and Chappelle goes we'll be sure to look out for that 
and the whole crowd starts laughing. And this guy, David, starts yelling and he goes, Hey, it ain't easy being black and being in entertainment business. It ain't easy being a black man in entertainment. It's hard being in entertainment when you're a black man. And Chappelle just kept going, Hey, man, I agree. I agree. You know what? What he's saying is true. It is hard being a black man and being in entertainment. That is true. Of course, it is harder for some more than it is for others. And, I was like, oh! <laughs> and everything this guy David came at Chappelle with was pure anger. Oh, God. and Chappelle, every line he was like the Matrix, like, like you couldn't like hit him. All the bullets oh, were flying God. around him. And Chappelle killed it. Walks off stage and says, uh, "Hey man, is it cool if I get tickets for the game tomorrow, man? Can you ask your buddies?" And I said, absolutely. And I said, Todd, uh, Dave Chappelle would like to come to the game tomorrow. Is it okay? He wants three tickets for him, his wife, and his kid. He only had one kid at the time. And Todd goes, yeah, um, how about if I just put all your tickets together? You just go to the game together. And I go, even better. <laughs> so he left me five tickets under my name. And, and Dave said, cool, man, I'll give you my phone number. Writes down his phone. I still have that piece of paper that he wrote his number on. Really? And uh, that's great. So Chappelle picks me up and I ride with him and his wife and uh, his kid to Madison Square Garden. And we go to the game. And uh, and I remember afterwards trying to explain to Dave how the NBA uh, friends and family work after the game. Uh, the game ends and I go, OK, Dave, so um, so we're just going to go to this section over here. Uh, they're going to let everybody out of the arena and then all the friends and family are going to be in this section. Just, just follow me. I'll show you how to do this. But as we go down to the lower part of the arena, guys from the Knicks were like, yo, Dave. And they're like grabbing him. And, <laughs> and he's like, Hey, what's up fellas. And they were all like, like, again, Chappelle was just um, known for Con Air, Robin Hood uh, for, uh, for Nutty Professor. All the players knew him as this killer stand-up comedian and they're like, Dave, come to the, come down to the locker room, which <laughs> even the family and friends don't get invited to the locker room. And he goes, yeah, man, let's go. I'll, I'll come down. I go, hey, <clears throat> I'm Craig. I brought Dave. Um, I, <laughs> nobody cares. I'm like, I'm, I'm Craig. Hello, hello, Latrell hello. Sprewell. It's me. Yeah. I'm Dave. Dude, Latrell Sprewell <laughs> and uh, Alan Iverson from the Sixers was like, what's up, Dave? And they're like, hey, I'll, AI, it's me. I'm Craig. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like to practice either, dog. I like wait where you at? Am I right? It's tough. Practice. Love you, right? Georgetown. Am hey, I... Pat Ewing. Dude, it was so crazy. You knew back then, like you could feel it from Dave. Like this guy is like a next level comedian. And what's amazing is that he continued to evolve and continued to elevate the entire art form. It was it was just mind blowing. It's important to note that you were excited to do Family Guy, which paid scale plus ten, right? Yeah. Which paid you. $800. $858. Dave Chappelle said, yeah, fuck $100 million. I'm going to Africa <laughs> yeah. for a couple of, Like, Think about that. Like, just had that kind of power to just say, ah, fuck it. And it's probably good that he did. Yeah. Because you know what? It, it leaves that era of that show kind of in a special place. Yeah. It didn't get to a point where it went too long and got tired. That's a great point. Like, I, like, it's kind of like the whole idea of burning out versus fading away. Yeah. Like, if Jim Morrison lived to be 80, he probably would have sucked eventually. Or Kurt Cobain lived to be 80. You're right. like, you don't want to put a gun in your mouth and die at 27. That's no good. Yep. But if, like, is there a chance that Kurt Cobain could be playing the Copacabana in, in his 60s? I don't know, but like you get that little, it's a, it's a time stamp. It's a picture of a certain time and place. There are people who say 
about Sam Kinison, like, man, what would have happened to Sam Kinison if he had not gotten in that car crash? And I think the reasonable answer is that Kinison probably would have died one week later because of the way he was <laughs> like, There's no way he was going to survive. The car crash just happened to be what killed him. It just happened to get in the way of his impending death a week later. But Chappelle, I, I agree with you. Um, his The moves that he made, which he did for, for personal reasons at the time, are legendary now. I remember when he came back from Africa, uh, he he went right to the comedy store and I saw him that first night and I don't think he ever put this out on any kind of special, but he had the story about being in Africa, escaping this contract and telling somebody in Africa, he goes, yeah, man, I was telling this, this African dude, I said, man, you know, $50 million, man, make you crazy. And this African guy looked at me and he said, that is crazy. <laughs> yes, I ate a dog today. <laughs> <laughs> It's looking amazing, oh. absolutely amazing. Like Dave is just a, uh, um, I just adore him for being uh, the same person. Uh, I, I saw. It's him. fascinating because he's a, again, he's a black dude in America, twenty twenty two, a group that deals with some shit, which mm -hmm. is fair to say. Yet somehow, and I think this is the point he tries to convey in some of his stand up when he's making jokes about trans people or whatever, like. Motherfucker, I'm black. Right. Like, I get it. I'm yes. making fucking jokes here. Right. But, like, somehow it's more important in 2022 to be trans than be black. Like, right. you're a more protected group. It's it's kind of, it's bullshit. It's funny that that's, uh, that is the point that keeps getting missed that you're pointing to. And that's, that's exactly what he's like, been Like, this saying. dude that tried to stab him with this gun-knife hybrid thing, right? Yeah. He's got people who are sympathetic towards his plight because he's mad that he got his feelings hurt by Chappelle. Well, he's saying that now. The guy who attacked him is saying that now. I feel like that's an insincere thing that he's probably back on because people were already developing that storyline before he ever said anything. So he, he jumped on with it. I to, think he jumped on with like, yeah, I was upset about it, but I, I think it's well. Silly, obviously, but. he was upset about something. Yeah, something pissed him off. But, so, but he pl he played it well. Like, well, I mean, he's making fun of people, and I wanted to teach him a lesson about making fun of people. He's a fucking comic. That's what he does. Yeah. Chappelle had a, uh, I saw him uh, last summer in, in Vegas at MGM Grand. And um, he puts me in a, uh, in a VIP lounge where all of his guests are at. And before the show started, Chappelle came into the lounge and just hung out with everybody just having drinks. And he seems like a chill dude. He's always been the same guy. His security was just kind of like a little distance away. Uh, so it wasn't intimidating. Like he wasn't walking around with security by his side, but his security was nearby watching. And I noticed afterwards he had a party and security was, I mean, the party was amazing. Uh, he, Chappelle was standing in the middle of a dance floor with a microphone. And when we walked in, I was like, Oh my God, Chappelle's about to do stand up." And I realized all he was doing with the microphone was singing along to his favorite song. He just <laughs> like, he was singing and dancing. And I was like, Oh, Dave. And I pulled out to do an Instagram and it's, and that's when security like, Nope. No, and I was like, oh, okay. All right, cool. But I remember that night telling Dave, I said, uh, do you remember what you said to me the first time I came to Ohio and I called you up and invited you to hang out? And he goes, no. I said, I just, I was headlining the improv in Cleveland for the first time. And I knew that you lived in Ohio on a farm. And I called you up and I said, Dave, it's Craig Gass. And you go, hey, dog, what's up? And I said, uh, I go, dude, I'm headlining the improv here in Cleveland, man. So if you want to come out, hang out, I'm here for a week. Or if you want to do a set, you know, you feel free to come and do some time. Do you remember what you said to me? And Dave goes, no. I go, you said, Craig, do you know 
how big Ohio is. <laughs> 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 like, I had no idea that I thought uh, when you told me you lived on a farm in Ohio, I thought it was like outside of Cleveland. I didn't realize it was like four hours away in like Dayton, <laughs> you know, but yeah. I fucking love Dave, man. Because uh, he just seems chill. Like, some of these dudes seem like they're cool as hell. Like, I think Rogan seems like he'd be cool as hell. Uh, yeah, Rogan, Rogan's a little standoffish. Uh, he's always high, and he's always a little... I think his being high feels like he's standoffish, but, I mean, he's always been nice to me, you know? But, uh, but yeah, Rogan is... Um, plus, Rogan... He's also arguably the most important, influential opinion giver in the universe somehow without question but then sits there and downplays it all the time by saying well i am just a comedian that smokes pot and does mma commentary i think he downplays it a he little tries. too much he tries i mean and it and it's because wherever he goes people are constantly wanting to come at him to talk about conspiracy theories about you know now it's politics uh all the stuff he's talked about he was big on conspiracy theories for a sure. long time and so that brought a lot of interesting people out of the woodwork that wanted to get at him but um but i never got to know rogan but um and i really got that close to Chappelle either but Chappelle is still the same guy he was 20 what was it, almost 25 years ago when i first met him but man am i it's exciting to watch somebody who you know before they become famous like that guy's gonna be fucking famous man and he becomes famous and 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 becomes even better and and bigger and better than anything you thought he was going to be back then. It's just it's also interesting because that's a business, and I don't know if it's still that way. And you've been around it, I haven't, but it's a business where there's a lot of jealousy, right? Like like is that still the case? Or yeah, I mean, comedians have a, a weird thing about um, about success, um, but with Chappelle. It's it's it was hard to argue with Chappelle. It's hard to say like, oh, man, like like you could there's a way to disagree with what Carrot Top was doing that made people feel like, well, that's not funny, in my opinion, because yes. I don't think that's stand up comedy, which is is absolutely wrong because the guy is selling tons of tickets. So. Well, how do you then how do you uh, reconcile that with what you actually truly believe is funny versus what's selling tickets. Like we talked about dice earlier. If you go back and watch a lot of the dice stuff, it's kind of just crass and not overly hysterical. Like I look back on it now and I'm tickled by it. <laughs> like, you know, like, I don't know if that sounded condescending or not. Like I'm the shitty radio guy in Nashville was tickled by the guy that filled Madison square garden. I get that. But, but like he filled Madison square garden. So he must not suck. Like, people like to say bands suck. Nickelback sucks. Well, I saw them. I was front row for a Nickelback show, and they had another 20,000 people there. Yeah. So do they suck? Somebody likes them. Yeah. It's, um, uh, I think that, so the question being, like, is, what is the question you're asking? So basically, how do you reconcile between, like, say you see someone, and they're selling out arenas, but you don't think they're good. Are you able to reconcile the the idea that, well, somebody obviously thinks they are, they can't suck, or do you just ride with, I don't get it, this guy sucks, and I'll never understand? I'd be the wrong person to ask that question to because I, I don't judge anyone if they're successful. It's like, oh, okay, well, they figured something out, and they're selling tickets, so I immediately understand that. You've it, never that resented anyone? Never. 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 Not never. one person. There's not one person you've gone, this son of a... Like, didn't everybody resent Mencia? Um, only because he was stealing material mm -hmm. like like Mencia got thrown out of a funeral. Um, he, he he tried to go to the funeral of a comedian that used to open for him. And everyone inside the funeral said, get out, because they knew that Mencia had actually stolen material. from. How do you 
and and I think subconsciously you hear somebody say something and you don't even realize that you're taking it to a degree. I'm not saying that's what he did, but like that's why I don't listen to other radio shows because if someone offers an opinion, subconsciously you go, yes. that makes sense. All you know, like, and like yes. you don't even say you're going to use it, but you end up doing it subconsciously. That's got to be tough if you're a comedian and you're watching someone set and you're like that crushes. Then you end up telling a joke that sounds similar and you're like, fuck, did I steal that? Jim Norton uh, is the only comedian I know who won't watch anybody for that reason. He just won't watch anybody. But to your point about when something sells, I remember over the years when I work with concert promoters and club owners around the country, I'll always ask who's really selling for you right now. I like to ask guys like you who kills it on your radio show. What yeah. comedians? Uh... Well, Craig Gass, he's the only one on <laughs> and he's here all week. <laughs> but I remember hearing from a promoter years ago. And by the way, speaking of that, comedians don't work on the phone and they all want to do phoners, right? right. Like in person, it works of on course, the radio. On, on the phone, it's, it doesn't work. Like I, I, all the only person who was good on the phone was Bob Saget, who I talked to a couple months ago before no he died. Shit. Obviously before he died. I talked yeah. to him after he died. I know what happened. And what it, an exclusive. He got taken out just like Bob Crane. Someone took him out with a tripod. No, but uh, but he was funny. He was really good. And it's also, it helps that he's got the, the TV backstory, so you can talk about Full House and right. stuff. It doesn't always have to be a joke. Sometimes comedians just try to be on the whole time and can't just riff. Yeah, I'm, I'm, Craig Robinson was a guy, the guy from the office. Yep. His stand-up is like he plays a keyboard and stuff, yeah. right? He was in Houston at the Improv maybe a decade ago, and they used to bring all the Improv guys into our morning show yeah. when I was at 6, 10 a.m. there. And he came up, and he was just a drag. It was just kind of like slow and didn't really have anything <laughs> to say. And you're like, well, this was great. Good being here. But then Biff from Back to the Future comes up, uh, and Thomas F. Wilson, he's fucking killing it. Yeah. Like It's like you don't know who's going to. Titus, Christopher Titus can talk about anything and make it good same with bill burr like guys like that you know what's crazy to me is is how many uh not a lot of them but there are guys who i worked with a lot that i never watched who became famous and i'd go i got what like i, I remember a promoter telling me oh um uh, i just did a half arena with kevin hart and i went Ke the short black guy and he goes yeah and i go kevin hart did it have and he goes oh man the guy's in a bunch of movies and i went well i've never even I know who Kevin is. I, I used to work. I just never paid attention to his standup. Is he funny? He's like, oh, he's so funny. And a year later, the same promoter said, I, I sold out two nights in an arena with Kevin Hart. And I'm like, what? And then a couple of years later, Kevin does a football stadium in Philadelphia. He does a stadium where the Eagles play. And I'm yep. like, all right, I got to go to this show. I call a friend of mine from the Eagles. He hooks me up with a ticket to the show. And I watch Kevin Hart for the first time in a stadium. And then I go back to the clubs in New York that night and I'm telling all the comedians, you guys are not going to believe this. I just saw Kevin Hart in a fucking football stadium tonight where the Eagles play. And they're like, what? I go 65,000 seats. He sold out at the stadium where the Eagles play. And they're all asking a bunch of questions. And one of the comedians was Gary Goldman. And Gary goes, whoa, whoa, wait, hold, hold on a second. Hold on. Kevin's from Philly, right? And I go, yeah. And he goes, so he's got family. And I go, <laughs> he's not a Mormon. He's he not Nick have, Cannon. Yeah, he like, doesn't have that. <laughs> he's not Nick Cannon. I couldn't believe that. But it was funny watching Kevin Hart for the first time. I was like, I get it. I understand why he's funny. I've never watched him before, but he's very relatable. He talks about family. He talks about his friends in a really relatable way. I get it. I understand why this guy is is popular. But it's interesting because there are some guys who are really funny, but the 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 type of humor they do doesn't work. Like I think that, that doesn't work mainstream and never will. Like Anthony Jeselnik. 
I think he's dark and it's funny. Yes. But it's never going to be arena funny because it's not like Jay Leno used to say that, like, you got to appeal to May and whoever in, in you know, Wisconsin, right? Yep. Uh, Letterman never did that. That wasn't what Letterman did. That's what Leno did. Some guys were able to do that. I think Kevin Hart has a, 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 a relatability that whether you're in Kansas City or Philly or L.A. or Detroit or wherever, it works. Some guys are just too dark and comics comics, if you will, that aren't worried about appealing to the mainstream they're just going you know and some guys have that some guys don't want to have that i i always remember jeff foxworthy who i believe has sold more albums than any other comedian or and i think did. he's brilliant yeah and I, I think at one point he was the most uh the uh had the most uh sales i remember jeff foxworthy saying comedians really pride themselves on on being edgy but the overwhelming majority of the country lives right in the middle they're not on the edge so and it's it's true. I mean, comedians. Well, now he's considered edgy because they were upset that he did jokes about uh, like young kids today. Like he had a stand up special on Netflix. Foxworthy. Yeah, he was just doing. And the thing is, they weren't controversial at all. But it's just he's an old white guy making jokes about millennials, and they're all pissed off about. Like they were angry at Foxworthy. That's amazing. They, you know the the you might be a redneck guy. You That's know, like the, like the most harmless human on the planet. People hated Larry the Cable Guy, and they would they loved to show the old clip of him wearing a silk shirt. You know, back in the eighties, like that's not really what he is. He's playing a fucking character. Andrew Dice Clay is not Andrew Dice Clay. Yeah. He's a fucking character. Like uh, I think, um, like you know, Jim Rome doesn't walk around everywhere he goes. Like, hey, what's going on? Smack. Like, <laughs> like he probably just sits at home and like sits in his underwear and watches fucking Golden Girls. Yeah. Like, like everybody's playing a character to some extent. It's just funny which ones we pick and choose. Like, I go back to the Metallica thing, right? There's the meme. On one side, you've got the people who are fans of Metallica, and they're all like, like, yeah, rock on, and yeah. black shirts, and face paint, and shit. Then you look at the other side, and it goes, that's the lead singer of Metallica, and he's wearing fucking Crocs and cargo shorts. Yep. Like, everybody thinks somebody is something. Everybody's playing a role to some extent. There are very few people who are just authentic. You know, like, if people get mad when they meet you, and you're not the same as you are on the radio, for instance. Right. Well, this guy's a fraud on the radio. He's not really energetic in person. Say something funny, guys. Say something offensive. Oh, it's, it happens occasionally where someone will be having a conversation, and someone will go, what, what, would, uh, what would Al Pacino say about this? And they'll be like, I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> funny you ask i don't know i why are you asking me to do but like it's like it's so friend i'm just in line at the wetzel's <laughs> i just want to get a fucking pretzel man. uh yeah friend you realize we're at church like yeah. i don't i don't want to do the voice at church i'm just doing a culture to see if i have chlamydia <laughs> i don't want to have to talk about this i'm waiting for my results <laughs> can you please please <laughs> what would sam kinison say about getting your positive chlamydia results and um <laughs> It's uh yeah it's 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 interesting to me the the time that we're living in. What's with kids today? What's with society today? What's with today today? Um, we were talking about uh, comedy, Chappelle, sensitivity, which I I didn't think was a real thing. I felt like it was more of a uh, you know once Seinfeld kind of put it out there that colleges are too sensitive and that he avoids colleges. I started hearing people going, yeah, I guess it's really bad out there. And I'm like, no, it's not. Comedy clubs are fine. And then one night I was watching Jay Okerson on stage and he was doing some stand up and he was talking about being at a hotel 
and I think he took a dump in his bed. I think like he accidentally pooped in his bed mm. and he talked about the Mexican housekeeper at the hotel and someone in the crowd yelled out, that's racist. And I, and, and the whole place froze. And I was like, what the fuck? And, and Jay says, well, she was a Mexican woman. The woman that was the housekeeper was the Mexican woman. And they kind of went back and forth a little bit. And I was like, what a that's I, wild. I, could, man. I couldn't believe I saw that at a stand-up comedy show. I mean, but I mean, it, it's gonna continue to be that way, though. It's like, what do people expect when you're going into a show? Like, I feel like you have to know what the guy's material is. Everybody has like a people know what your gimmick is. People know if you're going to see um, I don't know, we, we were talking about Jeff Jeff Foxworthy. Yeah, if you want to see Jeff Foxworthy, you're not getting Sam Kennison stuff. You're getting kind of folksy, wholesome. Now, my wife type of stuff. Right, like that's right. what you're gonna get. Now, if you go out there and you know he's he's doing Hickory Dickory Dock, you're like, well, holy shit. I mean, you kind of know what you're getting into when you see certain people. You know what Louis C.K. does. You know what Gervais does. You know what you do. You know what Chappelle does. I think that it it's there's a there's a way of communicating it that people are just going to laugh. They're just going to. And um, I, I think it's 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 the the art of stand up comedy is being able to take an audience somewhere they might not necessarily want to go and have them go willingly with you to that area and trust you enough to go there. I remember the first time I ever heard about a safe space uh, was near Seattle. I was getting ready to do a big show in Seattle and I was trying to do as many uh, sets at open mics. Before. You ever think about going down to those tents in Seattle and just doing a show, doing a set? <laughs> hey guys, I got free gum. Oh yeah, come on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, what's your name? Where are you from? Uh, yeah. Here's some, here's some gum and a box of uh, special K. Um, but uh, uh, someone told me, uh, uh, hey, yeah, I heard that you're looking for stage time. Uh, I got a spot for you over here. It's it's near the university, and um, you can do 15 minutes. And I was like, oh, that's perfect. And, and the guy said, okay, but just so you know, it's a safe space. Uh, so uh, you know what that means? And I said, I do not. What's a safe space? <laughs> and he said, uh, we don't marginalize. Um, um, what was the word? Uh, we don't marginalize uh, minority groups like gay people, trans um people who are minorities blah blah, blah. how do you mar how, like how do you define marginalize like like is it just making a joke i i think it was just we don't make jokes about minorities i i, I don't know but and that's funny you say that because i thought well it's still about context so Con I, by the way context does not matter anymore right context means nothing right and i still made a joke that night using the word retarded which is something i never say but I did it intentionally to see how they were going to react. And everyone laughed. And I was like, all right. Safe space, my balls. Yeah, exactly. Take so, that safe space. I'm Lenny Bruce now, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> it was just. It Come was arrest kinda, me. It was kind of interesting. I didn't hit the topics they asked me to not hit. But I made a joke about a marginalized group or, or uh, you know, I, I punched down just to see what the reaction would be. And, and they and they laughed. So. It's kind of silly, but I, I honestly believe, I honestly believe that this is the best time for stand-up comedy. This is the best time for stand-up comedy because stand-up comedians have the ability to push back. Uh, but with, do they want to? Yes, yeah, some do. Some? Some do. I'm not that guy. I'm not the guy who, I used to do jokes on stage that, um, uh, like, using an impression 
I would do this silly thing where uh, I would do street jokes as Christopher Walken and say, I used to do a thing where he said, uh, oh man, I've been doing comedy for so long. I remember when Adam Sandler started out and I will say an offensive joke as Adam Sandler. And then he had to find his voice. And then I remember watching Christopher sure. Walken do stand-up comedy and I will do street jokes as Christopher Walken. And I remember um, they were out of the book of truly offensive jokes. And one of them was um, um, Christopher Walken saying, what do you call a midget Puerto Rican? A speck. <laughs> it was like, it was just, it's so stupid. And then, oh, and what do you call a fat Chinese guy? A chunk. And then <laughs> after the show, people come up and go like, dude, you were so funny. You're so funny. And then like an Asian person would go like, dude, that was hilarious. And I go, oh, thank. And in my mind, I'd be like, oh, shit. I'm like, I, I want to apologize. I want to preemptively go. I'm, but they're walking out going, that was hilarious. And I remember thinking like, if I'm feeling like this after the show, when I'm talking to audience members, then why am I doing that? Well, you know, the thing is, the people who are actually offended, honestly, are just white people. White people oh. are offended on behalf of everybody else. Dude. You know all... a group of people that does not get offended by anything? Hispanic people, right? Yeah. Do not give a shit. Yeah. They have a great time. They yeah. laugh. Everybody has a good time. You know who gets offended on behalf of them? White people. Yeah. The people that have now moved into their shitty neighborhoods and gentrified them, ran them out, built three-story townhouses that cost a million dollars. And because they feel guilty, they're like, you know what? We got to stop oppressing. That is not nice. Yeah. Growing up in a family of people with a handicap, like uh, people would get offended who were not in a family with handicapped people. People would get offended on my behalf for growing up uh, in a deaf family. They would get offended at deaf jokes, but not my deaf family. Yeah. You know? That's usually how it goes. Yeah. You know, and then I think what happens is there's a backlash to certain things and then people feel like they have to be offended because other people in their group might be, or someone tells them they should be offended. Yes. Things that aren't that big of a deal become a huge deal because it's covered all over the news and everything. And we got to, you know, someone's got to be, completely ruined it's weird i remember seeing rich voss about a year ago and voss was doing a uh, telling a story about uh he was talking about gay people and he said you know who i feel bad for is the gay people who also are dating interracially can you imagine that conversation mom dad i'm gay now sit down for the bad part and, <laughs> and and there was immediately a buzz in the room of a hesitation to laugh. And I realized, oh, shit, people are hesitating on behalf of those groups right now. There's like one black guy in the back. Yeah. Like, this shit is lit, dude. Yeah, exactly. And the white people are like, exactly. Am I supposed to laugh at exactly. this? I think if you lean into something fearlessly... Uh, and I, I just think that people like comedians, not just all comedians, but entertainment in general, that you got a lot of people doing that. And you got a lot of people who used to like, I think Chris Rock used to be great at making fun of black people, white people, all that. And I think even Chris Rock has gone a little bit more mainstream with what he does now. And like, I think you get kind of blinded by a pressure that comes from social media that wasn't there before. Yeah. And like, if you see a thousand tweets from people and they're like, dude, what do you do? Like that you're making the people look bad. You're making our people look bad or don't be critical. I think it gets to people sometimes. How could it not mm -hmm. 25 years ago, Chris rock or you or Stern, you don't have social media. Right. So you don't have people in your ear constantly thousands saying, what the fuck dude. Yeah. Now you do. Yeah. And I think that that has a negative impact on people. Like when I first started doing radio in Houston, we first started like with Twitter and a text line that you could see. 
that shit will fuck with you. You're in the middle of giving an opinion. You're like, and this is why this motherfucker is the worst. And some guy says, your opinion's stupid. You're a piece of shit. And you're like, am I wrong in this opinion? Oh, I remember Howard really early on. I remember um, Howard uh, encouraged me to do something on the air. And I, I held back and didn't do it. And we went to commercial and Howard goes, why didn't you do the thing? I thought you were going to go in that direction. And I said, I just... You know, I, I think I do it too much. And he goes, what do you mean you do it too much? I go, I, I've seen like on message boards that people get sick of it. And he goes, oh, my God, Craig, don't fucking look at the Internet. He goes, that will fuck your head. And right at that moment, Gary walked in the room and and he he kind of caught on where the conversation was going. Howard said, you know, there's message boards that, that they'll say that fucking Robin sucks. Like, I shouldn't have Robin on the show. She's my co-host. Yeah. Like, you, you you can't, it will fuck with your head. None of them know what the fuck they're talking about. And Gary was like, you know, it's true. I've, I've worked on, on shows where I've done, like, best ofs, where we'll be on vacation for a week. And I'll put a lot of, like, heart into, I'll put a lot of time into being, like, you know, this is going to be, like, like a real retrospective during the best of it's going to kind of show our entire career and I'll be proud of it, you know, and I'll, I'll look at message boards afterwards. And the first message I'll see is like, does anybody put any time into the fucking, <laughs> and it's like, I put like hours into that fucking thing. And people think I just threw it together, you know? And, and Howard said, do not, he goes, it'll, but I know musicians, famous musicians who I will visit and they'll go, dude, let me show you something. And they'll show me a message board de dedicated to their band. They'll be like, look at this fucking idiot. And we're, we're having the discussion. Lars, stop. We're, we're having this discussion in a $10 million house. And I'm like, who gives a fuck about this guy? Well, I, I, I guarantee you who's able to do that and compartmentalize well is Chad from Nickelback. That, that, like, he has dude. to, dude, he fucks Avril Lavigne. Dude. He's fucking nothing but hot chicks, and he lives in a mansion. I, I, I don't want to say who this person is, but I know a, a buddy of mine who came to see me in Vegas last summer. He's a security guy. Uh, it's probably getting it close already, but uh, he's a security guy who works for a bunch of artists, and his first big rock artist, he was with rappers for a long time. Then he started working for, for a rock artist, and he tells me and Tom Rhodes. You know who Tom Rhodes is? No. Tom, Tom Rhodes is a brilliant comedian. Me and Tom are hanging out with this guy and I'm just peppering him with questions like, so, you know, tell me like the first, you know, tell me crazy stories about being on the road. And he tells us that his first rock job was with uh, Nickelback. And the phone call that he got was we need we need security for Nickelback because we have a problem. Whenever people come up to our singer and say, are you the guy from Nickelback? You suck. This Our singer is just knocking people out. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you! Like and it's just knocking people out. So we we we're trying to save money by just paying a security guard to stop him from knocking oh, out great. people. And I was like, you know what? My fucking his status has just gone up in my mind. That the singer of Nickelback has actually got a problem with just knocking people out for saying Nickelback sucks. I loved hearing that about him. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't I don't even know where where the but, rest like, of the, well, the thing was is going. they get shit on more than any band ever. Like if they're, they're just allowed to be shit on. And I think there's some level of jealousy to that because again, you sell a billion albums and then it, it's like Dane Cook. Dane Cook was hot, really hot for about yep. four years and yep. was in a bunch of movies and had the arenas. He sold out in Boston, the, the garden in Boston, yep. 18,000 people. I saw him at the UNO Lakefront Arena in New Orleans and there were like 15,000 people in there. Like wow. he was huge. And people I do think get jealous to a degree and it's easier to get jealous when you think someone sucks. Yeah. If you look at Chappelle, you go, okay, he's fucking great. Like yeah, how can I be argue. jealous of that? Yep. If it's someone that you think you're a contemporary with that you should be there with them it's easy to get jealous and get pissed off about that i will say this a lot of comedians think they're funnier than everybody else um so when they see someone getting successful they can't see it but in my mind it's always 
Well, if they're selling tickets, then clearly they're funny. You know, I've I've never gotten jealous of anybody. Funny is subjective. I mean, like, True. It, like you know, uh, there are a lot of people that think Bill Murray movies are funny. I think some of them are okay, but for the most part, I'm kind of like, eh. like basically every Bill Murray movie after Kingpin, I'm like, I don't get it. You know, you know some people think it's the most brilliant shit they've ever seen. Carrot Top is a guy who got shit on a lot by comedians. I love that Joe Rogan brought Carrot Top on to discuss it and be like, what the fuck? Why, why do people have this attitude? Gallagher was like that, too. Gallagher yeah. got a lot of crap from people with the props and everything. Yeah. And when uh, when Carrot Top um, and I did a, a roast together, Carrot Top was so cool to me. I, I We exchanged phone numbers and I wanted to come see him in Vegas for the first time. And not only was Carrot Top hilarious. I became the lowest common denominator of an audience member. I found myself several times in a Carrot Top show going, oh, that's so true. That is so true. That is so, you can't argue that. That is true. That is true. That is true. He's so funny. And he's just, and he absolutely hits stuff that you're like, God damn, that is absolutely a fact. So um, here, hold on one second. Let me do, I got to do a quick talk. Sure, sure. Anyway, I guess we can wrap that up too. That's I'd love this conversation. Though. Me too. One oh five nine, The Rock, Nashville's classic rock. Josh in a show, White Room. It's Cream. Don't forget that Jilly has got textual favors coming up at noon. You can get your requests in by yeah. via the text. Text the word "rock" in your message. Mm-hmm. to six four eight nine five that's you, sexy yeah get that message in and you can make a request let us know who you are what you want to hear that's rock in your message to six four eight nine five and those requests will play in the 12 o'clock hour with jilly it's called textual favors thank you josh in a show red hot chili peppers it's under the bridge on 105.9 the rock what I did there, so I was sitting there trying to hit the post on that, so I'm starting to talk in slow motion. I have a weird addiction to like hitting. I hate to just talk and not hit the post on a song. So what I'll do is I'll like I'll, I'll really slow myself down, like 105.9, The Rock, and stretch it out to hit the post. Because like deep down in my heart, like I'm an old, like my dad was a disc jockey, not a talk host or anything like that, and uh, and I just love listening to old jocks and stuff and. Like, is this like my ultimate goal in life to be the guy that's zany talking up records? No, I mean, I like to talk. I like having long form conversations and stuff, but like I enjoy hitting posts. It's a euphoric feeling if you do it right, I guess. I understand that you are very good at radio. Um, and I that whole thing that happened uh, in Minnesota really, I think, exemplified that. And it was exciting, like when that happened. Yeah. And, As I said, though, it wasn't exciting when I was standing outside of a, a of pizza course. place in, in Minneapolis and my boss is like, I might have to let you go. And I, in my deep down, I'm like, I, w- I called my agent at the time and I go, David, why are they so angry? Like, this is what you should want. Like, we don't like the fact that we're here doesn't matter. Like the fact that we're talking to, to Merrill Hodge doesn't matter. No mm-hmm. one cares. Right. We made news. We were the number one story. We were the lead uh, the year before that. When it was in Houston, my guy walked around in a garbage can that said Asweiler. It was the Brock Osweiler trash can that said Asweiler. We were the number one story on Sports Center, the top yes, 10. Of course. We were the number one story. It was all over the place. And they loved us when we did that. They said, wow, you guys are great. You guys are hilarious. By the next year, they fucking hated everything we were doing. It was a bizarre world, man. Yeah, but you're 100% right. You, you, It's, it's content. I remember being banned for life 
from a radio station, which I ended up getting banned for life. From what that. station was it? Uh, it was the first station I started at KISW okay. in Seattle. And I ended up getting banned for life three times from that station. How? Uh, the first one was a really brutal thing. I, uh, um, the host of the morning show there um, was uh, had warned me about going on the Howard Stern show. And some shit happened. Um, that host was bringing me to boot camp for the first time. Uh, boot camp is so the a, morning show boot camp. It, it's a convention that happens once a year during the summer where of, people go to steal each other's shitty ideas. It's morning radio shows come in from all over the country to get together and talk about what's been working on their morning shows mm -hmm. and come up with ideas uh, or, or, or share ideas that have worked in their markets that maybe you can use in your market. And so I'm being brought to morning show boot camp, and it's around that time that I sent a tape to Howard Stern, and Gary called me up and said, "Hey, we'd like to, you know, I got this tape of you, and um, you know, these like who's doing all these voices?" And I said, "That's me. That's I'm all the voices on the tape I sent you." And he said, "Well, God, you know, we'd really love to work with you because you're Sam Kinison. Like we thought it was him. Like we were we were friends with Sam, and the Sam Kinison impression was so good. We actually thought it was him. That's <laughs> fucking crazy." And I said, "Man, well, I'd love to work with you guys someday." And Gary said, well, we have an idea, actually, that I want to pitch you. And the idea was, we're going to do, this is a terrible thing I'm about to tell you, Josh. Uh, we um, just got into the Chicago market. Yep. And there is a morning radio guy in Chicago named Man Cow who has been going after us. And we cannot respond to all the DJs that go after us because right now we're on the air in over 40 markets. And if you start saying, hey, that guy, man, cow, fuck man, cow, blah, blah, blah. Although they obviously did. That became a big thing in that stretch, too, with the man, cow thing. Well, I was. That was you. I was. So uh, there's 39 markets that are going to be like, who's man, cow? So, um, uh, but man, cow started stepping up his fight and he started uh, sending us pieces of a cow, one piece at a time to the radio station. Then man, cow had his producer fly over the building where Howard does his show from in a helicopter and take a shit on the building. They filmed it and he shit on the building. And I'm listening to this and I go, so you want me to <laughs> shit on someone or what? And he goes, no, 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 no. This is where you come in. Um, man, cow's dad just died did you do the voice of his dad we want you to call in as sam kinnison calling live from the oh, gates of God. hell with with man cow's dead dad and i went okay um <laughs> well uh uh well a couple things uh number one i don't want to do it right now because in a few days i'm going to atlanta to do this event called uh boot camp and Man Cow is going to, I'm being introduced to Man Cow. He's speaking on Friday morning. Oh my God. So let me just before, okay. Dude, you know exactly where this is going. I know where this story is going. Okay. So, uh, so Gary Delabate says, I thought boot camp was like a small market, only small markets. And I said, no, it's every market that gets to go. And he goes, he goes, wait, so Man Cow is speaking. And I said, yeah, he's actually speaking on Friday morning. And he goes, where? And I said, at the, here, you want me to get the information for you? And he goes, yeah. I go, yeah. I open up my go. Man Cow is speaking this Friday morning in the, you know, Continental Ballroom at this hotel on Friday morning at 8 a.m. in Atlanta. And he's like, oh, interesting. And what's the name of the ballroom? And I go, oh, it's it's this ballroom. And he goes, and which hotel is it? And I, oh, it's the Omni. Oh, okay. Huh. Interesting. I go, yeah. So can we talk next week? And he goes, yeah, sure. We'll do it next week. Thursday night, I went out and got hammered. So I ended up 
waking up late on Friday morning. And when I woke up, I came downstairs at 8.30 in the morning and there was chaos. Mm -hmm. It was bedlam in the lobby of the hotel. There were ambulances and fire trucks and police cars. <laughs> and uh, and somebody ran up to me and said, dude, are you still going to do that fucking Howard Stern thing? And I go, uh, why? And they said, you didn't, you didn't see what just happened? Yeah. Based on the information that I gave Gary Delabate, they sent Stuttering John yep. to Atlanta undercover. Stuttering John showed up in Atlanta with Doug Goodstein, who was our uh, ETV guy. And they crashed the appearance that that man cow was doing on Friday morning. And in the middle of it, John stuttering, John stood up and said, I have a question. Isn't it true that everything you've ever done was stolen from Howard Stern? And the whole room starts booing because at that time, like Stern was just a negative that people hated Stern at the time, which I was being warned about my guy that I was working for in Seattle was telling me a lot of his exact words were, you can either work for Howard Stern or you can work in the radio business. I'm, you just need to know this. You can either work in radio. Fascinating, because now everybody blows him, like, everybody incessantly. St- absolutely. It's fascinating. And so uh, Stuttering John interrupts and says, isn't it true you stole everything from Howard Stern? And Mankind goes, you know what? Shut your mouth. I will deal with you in a moment. Let me do my speech. And he goes, but we are live on the air right now. I have Howard Stern on the phone, live in New York, and he wants to talk to you. So tell Howard, is it true you stole everything from Howard Stern? And he hands the microphone to Mankind. It's, it's it's a big cell phone, like a Zach Morris cell phone, basically. And it, it belonged to Doug Goodstein. It was his personal cell phone. And Mankow takes the phone, turns around, smashes it against the wall, and it breaks to a thousand pieces. The place goes, yeah. And Goodstein comes up, fuck you, takes a swing at Mankow, like, fuck you. And, they, and it becomes a brawl. It's a brawl in the middle of a radio convention, and it's total chaos. And I am the guy who inadvertently set the whole fucking thing up. <laughs> and, uh, and oh, that's great. And Bob finds out through the, my my radio guy finds out through the grapevine that uh, I was the one who gave all the information. And he says, do not do the Howard Stern show unless you, you want to have chaos in your life. And I did the Howard Stern show a few days later as Sam Kinison. I did a, a neutered version of what they wanted me to do. I just I just made fun of man cow's name. You know, I'm down here in hell, and uh, Man Cow's dad is here. And, uh, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer was confused. He was like, oh, my God, it's half man, half cow. Where is he? Where is he? <laughs> yeah, I want to eat him. You know, it was just like it was just like making fun of his name. I didn't do what they wanted me to do, which was fuck Man Cow and fuck his dead dad. It was so brutal what they wanted me to do. And I did a, a, a nicer version of that. And then when I got to Seattle and went back to the radio station, the, the guy whose morning show it was, he says, get the fuck out of here right now. And, I go, <laughs> and he, he walks me outside. And this is the point I wanted to get to get to with you about this, which is he tells me to leave. It was the first time I got banned for life from the station. His co-host, Spike O'Neill, comes outside and goes, Craig, I'm going to tell you something. And it's not going to make any sense right now. You are always going to be in control. I know it doesn't sound like it right now because you just got banned from here, but you create content. And radio stations all over the country need content you will always be in control you will always be the person who makes the decisions you just don't know that now but you are a content creator and you will always be the one who's in demand and i didn't understand it at the time but over time i started to realize i slowly started standing up for myself a little more and a little more sure. and asking for money asking for better compensation and i was surprised at how often i got it 
And, wild. and over time, I learned that it is true and, and it absolutely applies to what you're doing. You get in trouble, but well, I used to get in trouble. It, I am a very neutered individual yeah. <laughs> now. Like, I, I was fired for two years, so I was just like, you know what? I'll play nice. Like, I am a very neutered individual. Yeah, now. but even coming in here uh, two days ago, you were talking, you were reading complaints uh, from listeners. And you were not only shitting on the listeners who were complaining, you were naming the listeners. And I was like, that's fucking awesome. One of the things we also like to do is find them on Facebook and then start breaking down their photo. Of course. On the air, we're like, well, this person, one lady had like a, it was like a banjo or something in her picture. We just shit on her. Hey, it's Josh. So uh, what I'm going to do here is let you know that in this little window, there was just nothing. There was we did a spot on the air and whatever, and somehow transitioned into talking about people you met. I think the story that was on the air was one about meeting people, meeting celebrities, and it led to this conversation off air. So there's the setup for you, just so you know, so the transition is not abrupt. We're talking about meeting people, like having encounters with celebrities. It's funny those kind of stories you have about meeting people. Yeah. Like, I met Michael Irvin twice. And once was at the Miami Super Bowl, the one that you were talking about where uh, Kevin James and like, I had to meet Kevin James there. So I got a picture with him, but I was in the John taking a leak and Michael Irvin walks in (laughs) and I'm like, holy shit, it's Michael Irvin, you know? And I'm like 20, 20, I was 22 at the time. And I go, sup playmaker. And then he just says nothing. Like he just looks at me and then walks away. But the other time I met him, I was doing radio in in Houston at the time. I think it was the afternoon guy, so I had a pretty high profile you guys have job. Your dicks out when you said, What's "Oh yeah, up, I did." Like I, <laughs> etiquette, I, you know, men's room etiquette was not really my strength. But we were in the, um, but he came up to the station to record something for NFL Network. He was interviewing a guy by the name of Mario Williams, and uh, and he walks in. I just happened to be at the station. He goes, "Hey man," I go, "Yeah." He goes, "Man, I got to interview Mario Williams." I said, "Yeah." Can you write some questions for me? I go. Sure, I can do that, Michael Irvin. Why not? And he goes, now write them like I would say them. I'm like, so like in 72 font, like eight <laughs> exclamation points. Like, how do you want me to write them? And I wrote out all these questions for him for Mario Williams. Like, here you go, playmaker. And he goes, man, I ain't asking none of that. And then like, and then he left the building because he had to go record the interview at the stadium. He goes, all right, grab my bag. I go, what? <laughs> I said, what? He goes, yeah, the, it's the Louis Vuitton one. Grab that. And I grab it and I'm rolling this roller bag down to this car. And it's him and Kevin Kylie, who he did a radio show with. And they got in the car. I handed him his bag. I go, all right, Mr. By the time I could say, all right, see you, playmaker. The door was shut. See you later. No that, was, yeah, that was my encounter. It's just funny the kind of encounters you have with celebrity people. Like, um, that's probably one of the better stories I have of being around a, a celebrity. Our sports station is the sports format, the toughest format. I, in my opinion, I think it is because I think the people you have to interview don't give you shit. I think they all. Say That's shit. why you don't interview them. Fuck them. Yeah. Like, I, I, I mean, you, you find interesting people or you just be the interesting person or find people you get along with that you can riff with. Like, I don't give a shit about talking to Joe Montana. He's a fucking stiff. So who cares? You know, they are in, in sports radio. Although I have been told by a lot of friends of mine in sports radio that hockey players will actually hockey give you players something. are the best dudes ever. Most of them are foreign, barely speak English. They're happy. There's like they get the worst contracts of anybody. Like LeBron will sign a two year contract for ninety million, right? Make forty five a year. Yeah. Hockey players are like, yeah, I've just signed a seventeen year, ten million dollar deal. Right. I'm happy. <laughs> yep. And you're like, wait a minute, you had a seventeen year deal? Yeah, but I'm making ten million dollars, eh? And you're yeah. like, like, okay, bro. That's yeah. what I mean. They're the nicest dudes. They're fun. 
baseball players are kind of assholes. Uh, but yeah, hockey players are the best. And golfers, some if you get the right golfer, they're fun too. But they got to be kind of by the right golfer. I mean, like John Daly, the rest of them are stiffs. Yeah, it's uh, I've always heard that about hockey players, but I always feel like uh, sports is uh, the toughest format because of that. And um, you you brought up uh, earlier about how in Minnesota, anything that's being talked about at the Super Bowl is going to be forgotten about. And it's because and it's amazing to me that it still happens every Super Bowl. You see guys walking up and saying, hey, can I borrow you for a second on the uh, media day when all the players are walking around that are on both teams? Um, What are your thoughts going into Sunday? Yeah. Like, why are you here? Like what? What is? What are your thoughts? Do like, something dumb. What, what is going to happen? You're actually this- given a gift that no one else is going to get, which is you've got a hundred football players. You well, can make them uncomfortable. Maybe one will be funny. You've got the world watching you, and you're like, so do you guys got to run the ball a little bit more this week? Yeah, or? it's it's everyone's. It's the event that everyone's going to be watching. This is this is the event that brings in more people than anyone else or anything else in the entire calendar year. And you're not asking anything original. No. There's nothing unique being asked there. I'm always trying to get something unique and funny. And I, I am so proud when ESPN picks it up. Like you, you saying, I thought you were joking when you said it was the number one. No, our on our, our guy in his Asweiler can was, I think, number one on the Sports Center yeah. top ten. I think, and that's a, a moment uh, that you should have. And our radio station for. did not care. I, I now I'm bitching, but there was a there was a player that played for the Astros. His name was Tyler White. He was this kind of plunky dude that had like one brief moment of being good. And since he was kind of fat, I just for some reason started calling him Big Puddin'. That was my nickname <laughs> for him. Right. Well. The, the TV people start calling him the Great White, which is such a stupid nickname, whatever. But I called him Big Puddin'. Well, I was friends with the dude doing the games on the radio, the color analyst. I said, do you mind calling him Big Puddin' once and just seeing what happens? So he hits a walk-off home run on like a Thursday afternoon, walk-off home run against maybe Seattle or some Toronto. Hits a walk-off. Everybody's going nuts. And the guy calling the game goes, Big Puddin' with the walk-off. And I go, holy shit my nickname is on the air mlb network picks that up and they start calling him big pudding on tv they're like yeah did you see big pudding and i go wow this is awesome my station was like yeah we're not promoting that like no no that's the way we're and like they they like my station was the dumbest station in the world like they are not smart people but and i mean that one like dude that's our nickname and they're like yeah but nobody on the station likes you so they're not going to use it <laughs> They all hate you. You're a piece of shit. We will not use your dumb nickname, you asshole. Perseverance pays off. You just have to stick to your guns, man. Well, I mean, uh, you would know. Yeah, you're you're a person. You you certainly uh, persevere. Yeah, it just yeah. it just uh, you just gotta stick to your guns, man. Cool. Thank you for having me. On. You bet, man. And there you go, our friend Craig Gas. Uh, that was earlier today at the radio station. It's Josh. Hi. Uh, I do have to tell you about Aqueduct Plumbing Company, Billy and his sister, Mary. Uh, They are awesome. We love them. And, of course, they are in the plumbing business. And if you need great plumbing work in the Houston area, 281-488-6238 is the number you need to call. 281-488-6238. Of course, they do everything, repipes, leak detection, camera inspection, plumbing fixtures, water heaters, tankless water heaters, water filters, drain cleaning, all that. So um, make sure you reach out to them if you need them. Great reviews, great people, awesome company. 281-488-6238, aqueductplumbingcompany.com. They are at your disposal. Uh, And don't forget, tomorrow we're going to be doing a drinking show, 8 o'clock Central. 
So come hang out with us on Twitch and be prepared to get hammered. Get your donos, get your bits, get ready to go. Uh, Jim is going to be with us and uh, try to get a few other people. Might reach out to Tank and some others, see if we can have a good time. So uh, awesome. We love you guys, and we'll see you later.